Beginning in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Father, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture, no doubt known by the majority of folks, if not all, that are in this room or downstairs or watching online, Lord, extremely well-known, you know, portion of Scripture. We just pray, Father, that we would approach it maybe as if we had never heard it before or considered it before. Lord, we know that with this portion of Scripture, as all Scripture, there's kind of those preconceived ideas, and this is what's being spoken of. And we just pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The um, cleansing of the temple. So we saw that last week. Jesus comes into Jerusalem for one of the feasts, and uh, he sees all of the merchants, you know, setting up their tables of money changers and the those selling doves and sheep and all of that, making merchandise uh, or making, uh, you know, the, the courts of uh, the house of God, the temple of God, almost like a swap meet um, type of environment. And Jesus drove them out. And of course, that got the attention of the authorities. The authorities came, as we saw last week, and they said, um, <laughs> by what authority are you doing these things? And so, obviously, what Jesus had done, the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of his public ministry, had left an impact. And so we see a fellow by the name of Nicodemus. His name means victorious among his people. We're told that Nicodemus, he was a teacher. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. It says that he was a ruler of the Jews. The Sanhedrin was the Supreme Court of Israel at that time. So, guys, I think it's safe to say that Nicodemus was the best that religion can produce. Nicodemus, he was religious. He was a standard of righteousness among the people. And yet he comes to Jesus and he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. So this tells us that though Nicodemus was alone, he really wasn't alone in the sense that 
he was representing others. There were others that kind of sent Nicodemus, said, Nicodemus, you need to go, you need to have, uh, you know, a, uh, just a private time with this Jesus of Nazareth, and you need to question him. We need to, I want to understand him more. And at least they were tuned in enough to realize that this was no mere man. I mean, the things that he was doing, it's interesting that, that Nicodemus had said no one could do these signs. And yet, from John's perspective, I mean, we've only seen one sign so far. We've seen the, the water made into wine because John only deals with seven of the miracles of Jesus. But this just shows us, as John indicates at the end of his gospel account, if we were to record all the things that Jesus did, the world wouldn't be able to contain the books. So there are many things that Jesus was doing. These tuned-in Pharisees, religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, recognized that there's no way he could be doing these things unless the Lord was with him or he was from God, and so he comes to Jesus. I, I love this encounter because... It, it shows us so many things. It shows us that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what uh, nationality you're, you, you're born into. It doesn't matter your position or your clout or, or if you're a religious person or a non-religious person. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then he goes on and he kind of doubles down on it and he says, you cannot, you cannot, first he says you cannot enter the kingdom of God, then he says you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God, you know, was a big deal, especially for the Pharisees. They were always talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? You know, the kingdom of God is God's dominion, God's authority. We need to be careful that we don't confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Christ. Do you know what I'm referring to? The book of Revelation. Jesus will come back, the second coming. When he comes back, he will set up his kingdom. His kingdom will be on the earth for a thousand years, the millennial kingdom of Christ. During that millennial kingdom of Christ, the promises that were given to the children of Israel, as we see in Isaiah and other portions of scripture, will be fulfilled. We'll see longevity of life once again, like we see in the uh, book of Genesis. We will see absolute peace upon the earth, because of course the Prince of Peace is ruling and reigning. We'll see um, children you know, playing with vipers and not being afraid that they would be killed by their venom. Uh, we see just absolute perfect peace upon the earth. But the kingdom of God is, is different. The kingdom of God is speaking of the realm of God's authority. Let me show you what I mean by this. We know that Jesus was confronted many times by the Pharisees. And in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, it says, Now when he, that's Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. So they wanted to know, when, when is the kingdom of God going to come? 
And he answered and he said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, listen, these are the words of Jesus, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now guys, that almost sounds like, you know, the gurus of today, you know, the it's that inner light and the Christ consciousness, and that, that's not what Jesus was saying at all. He was saying, listen, the true kingdom of God, it's not a place. It's not a location. It is the rule of God in the heart of the believer, in the, in the life of the believer. Jesus, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, and remember there are many things he had to say at that particular time, and when he began to speak of praying, remember he talked about the Pharisees, he says, don't pray like them, you know, don't pray like those who like to be on the street corner and they like to be real showy and, and everything when they pray. He says, when you pray, go into your, your, your prayer closet or your private place. But he said, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, he's not the big guy upstairs, he's in heaven, Hallowed be your name, holy be your name. And then the prayer goes on to say, as you guys know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is his will being done in us. Now this is important because you look at this and say, how is this even possible? The kingdom of God within, the kingdom of God, God's rule within I look at our world today, and even the church today, and I'll tell you, it breaks my heart. And I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but it really does. There is little to no sense of, uh, or, or understanding of, of holiness. Holiness simply means to be set apart for God's specific use, you know. Uh, the world has blended so much into the world. You could, you could, you know, the behavior of those within the church is almost identical to the behavior of those outside the church. We know the divorce rate inside the church is the same as the divorce rate outside the church. I mean, there, there used to be a distinction, guys, and I'm not talking about long, long ago. In the 45 years that I've been walking with Jesus, there used to be a distinction where you would say, you know, Things are not perfect in the church, but things are not as bad as they are in the world. And of course, now the world and the church, we have Pergamos, we have the marriage, the union of the world and the church, and it's so sad. And the byproduct of that is Laodicea, a lukewarm church. Rather than being on fire for the Lord, we've just kind of settled in, we're content. Well, Nicodemus, he comes and, and, and he, 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 you know, says to Jesus, <laughs> we know that you are from God. And of course, he, he, it would take him time to move beyond that. We know that you are from God. Nicodemus would eventually realize that, that Jesus is not just from God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But it would take him time to get there. And, and do you know that the only one that tells us about Nicodemus is John? And John doesn't just tell us about Nicodemus here, but in chapter 7 
of John's gospel, we see Nicodemus kind of standing up in front of his peers and saying, wait a minute, you know, we don't judge people or we don't condemn people without first hearing them, paraphrased. And then we see Nicodemus at the end of John's gospel where he's helping Joseph of Arimathea burying or, you know, placing the body of Jesus in the tomb. So, so Nicodemus came around. Nicodemus came to that place where he realized that Jesus indeed is God in the flesh, God with us. But it would take him time. I think that's true for many people. You know, maybe you heard the gospel, someone shared the gospel with you, and, and uh, if you received the Lord the first time you heard the gospel, you're probably a rarity, you know. Praise the Lord for that. It didn't take you long. But for many of us, you know, we'd hear the gospel over and over and over again, and, you know, it sounded good, almost too good to be true, that I could be forgiven of my sins because of what Christ did on the cross, and, and you're just kind of, you know, trying to figure all that out, and then, by God's grace, we come to that place where we believe, and our life is changed. I think that when... Jesus cut to the chase. I mean, he didn't say, you know, you know, I'm glad you're paying attention, Nicodemus, you know. You say I'm from God. I, you know, I'm glad that you're paying attention. I am from God. And let me tell you about my... He doesn't go into that at all. He cuts right to the chase. In fact, guys, you're familiar with this if you're a student of the Bible. You're familiar with the ways of Jesus if you're a student of the Gospels. Because you know that many times Jesus would answer questions that were never asked. I mean, there was no question that was asked here. Nicodemus didn't ask a question, per se. He's just kind of getting in. This is just his introduction. And Jesus cuts to the chase, and he says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you're the best that Israel could offer. You are religious. You are devout. The Pharisees were separatists. They would be like, if you put it in a, a Christian kind of uh, framework, they would be like the Puritans of old, you know, separating themselves from others, not wanting to be defiled by other people. And Jesus, in essence, is gently or maybe not so gently pulling the rug out from under <laughs> Nicodemus's feet Nicodemus I know that you think as all Jews thought at that time that because you're a descendant of Abraham the kingdom of God God's rule and reign in your life, or even heaven, you know, which you might be, we might and safely say, well, that is the kingdom of God, you know, heaven, heaven is the kingdom of God. Yes, that would be the kingdom of God. Because surely in heaven, everything will be ruled by his authority. No one's going to be rebelling in his heaven, you know. But it's almost as if the Lord was saying, you need to understand it's not because you're a Jew. It's not because you're a descendant of Abraham. You're not automatically guaranteed heaven because you're a descendant of Abraham. Remember when um, the 
Jews were coming out to John the Baptist and John the Baptist was baptizing them and he began to kind of call them out and he said, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to think to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. So it's almost as if he's saying, Nicodemus, you need to pay attention because this is very important. You must be born again, Nicodemus. You must be born again. It's not enough to be born a Jew. We might say in the Christian you know, framework, we might say, and I say it quite often, it's not enough to be a Christian, it's not, or not enough to be born into a Christian family. You could have godly parents or grandparents, and, and praise the Lord for that. You know, the Bible says that you're kind of set apart, you have a kind of a privileged position because of your believing parents, but um, you still need to be born again. None of us get to heaven because we were born into the right family. The only access to heaven is through Christ. He is the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And the only way to come through him is by faith in him, complete dependence and trust in him. Now, what does it mean? Nicodemus surely didn't understand. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? I don't know what you're talking about, Lord. I don't think he called him Lord. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Guys, there's debate, you know, it's interesting. You can get commentaries and, and you can say, okay, what does it mean to be born of water? This is important. This is something we should know. Uh, you know, if, if Jesus said, you must be born again, you must be born of water and of the spirit, then it's important to know what does it mean to be born in water or of water? Not in water, excuse me. I inserted that. Of water. And I know that some of you, you might be thinking, oh, you know, Dan, come on, this is simple. This is easy stuff. It's baptism. Obviously, it's baptism. You must be baptized, and then you must be born of the Spirit. Well, you know what, guys, that goes against what the Word of God teaches because the Word of God teaches that salvation is not earned by works. You guys know the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And you might say, well, wait a minute, though. Baptism is not a work. Yes, it is. If you're being baptized to be saved, it is a work. Do, do you see that? Are you following the logic here? Baptism is not something we do so that we could be saved. Baptism is something we do because we are saved. Baptism is identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism doesn't wash our sins away. Boy, if water could wash our sins away, then surely Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross. And the Bible declares that his blood has washed our sins away. I think modern day church would rather think that water could do it. It's not as gruesome as blood. It's because they're not familiar with 
all of the Old Testament that speaks of blood over and over and over again, how life is in the blood. But you know, guys, some say it's baptism, and I would say it can't be baptism. Remember when the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, and he talked about the sectarianism that was taking place among them. You know, some were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollo, you know, and and then Paul kind of goes on and he talks about baptism and he says, I'm glad that I didn't baptize many of you. And then he names two and then he names another. But he goes on to say, Christ has not sent me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I want you to think about it. If baptism was necessary for salvation, then Paul's ministry was on the wrong track because Paul was evangelizing. He was the apostle to the Gentiles who had a heart for his own people, the Jews. And wherever there was a synagogue, Paul would go into the synagogue. First and foremost, he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in the synagogue. When they would reject him, then he would go out and preach to the Gentiles and uh, he would preach Christ. Salvation in Christ, believing in Christ. People were baptized after coming to faith in Christ. I think that many Christians are confused about the whole thing of baptism. You know, we have whole denominations that, that say, you know, baptism, it's baptismal regeneration. Baptism is, is um, you know, you have to be baptized. And I think that we should be baptized out of obedience to the word of God. So I'm not taking away from that at all. But baptism is not the means of salvation. Others say, well, it's not baptism. It's the word of God. The water speaks of the word of God. And they would, they would quote Paul again in Ephesians again. And I'm referring to the text in, in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Remember, we have that, that dual teaching that Paul did. I love the Bible. It's not boring. It's exciting. If we pay attention, we glean so much. The Apostle Paul, he's teaching on, on the relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And he's talking about this beautiful union. At the same time, he's teaching about a husband and a wife and their responsibilities to each other, how they're to treat each other, how they're to love and respect each other. At the same time he's doing that, he's talking about Christ and his relationship with his bride, the church. And, and as you go through that, you have to pay attention because you might, you might misread. But, but as you're reading through that text... It says that he, the he there is not the husband, the he there is Christ, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. The her there is not the, the, you know, the human uh, wife, but it's the bride, the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And so some say the water speaks of the word of God. But again, guys, it's not the word of God that saves us. It's the finished work of Christ that saves us. He says you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, before I get to the third one, um, I want you to think through this for a moment. What does it mean to be born again? 
Well, Nicodemus was already born once, right? So to be born again, hold on, this is profound, means to be born again. Keep that in mind because it's really important to understand in our text. He was already born. Jesus says, you must be born again. There's another birth. Others say that the Holy Spirit speaks of the Holy, or that the water, excuse me, that the water speaks of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, another beautiful portion of scripture, Jesus is at the feast, just as they're pouring out the water at the feast, you know, as Israel's looking back, he's looking forward, and he speaks about this living water coming from within us. And John gives us a commentary, and he says Jesus was speaking of the Holy Spirit. And so some say the water has to be speaking of the Holy Spirit because water sometimes is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The only problem with that is that the Holy Spirit is obviously mentioned already in our text, right? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus did not say, unless one is born of the Spirit and of the Spirit. See, it doesn't make sense. You say, well, what do you think it is, Dan? I think it's clear from the text. I think that there is the physical birth. Look at verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. There is a physical birth and there is a spiritual birth. Again, verse 6, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's almost as if Jesus, as he's speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, it's not enough to be born a Jew. Nicodemus, there needs to be this this other birth, this, you've already been born. You're, you're born, but there's a, there's, a, there's a second birth, if you will. There's, a, there's an again experience, if you will, that needs to happen. And if it doesn't happen, not only will you not see the kingdom of God, you will not enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, verse 7, that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he goes on and he gives an illustration. And I'll come back to that illustration in a moment here. I love the, the imagery here. You know, guys, Jesus, as we'll see next week, we're not going very far this week because of time's sake. But, um, but Jesus corrects Nicodemus, he says, in essence, you should know these things, Nicodemus. You know, you're a teacher of the law. You're, you're a teacher of the people. You should know these things. Jesus would never do that. He would never, he would never correct somebody if there was something they could not possibly know. If there was, if there was no reference, if there was no understanding, you know, he would never do that. You know, guys, if you come here to Calvary, Oak Carver, you know that I exhort 
us many, many times. I think every time I, I speak, I'm exhorting that we would be in the word of God because the word of God is so important. The word of God, it doesn't just fill our mind with information. It fills our heart with hope. It fills our life with faith because faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. It's the word of God, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Some would say, oh, you worship the word of God. I don't worship the word of God. The word of God is God's revelation of who he is. And it's interesting to me that, you know, we have Christian leaders today that that want us to, you know, unhitch from the Old Testament. It's not pertinent. It's not important for us. We don't need to read those things. We don't need to understand those things. We have other Christian leaders that say, well, stay away from the book of Revelation. That will confuse you. That's a dangerous book, you know. So, you you know, you, you kind of destroy the... The, the Old Testament, you know, and surely there are many who, who, who say, you know, we're educated now. We know that the whole creation account, you know, and, and there are many Christians that buy into that. I mean, you just, you know, if you, if you want to speak to someone's ego, <laughs> you can convince people right away to disbelieve different things. I don't want to look like I'm stupid or anything, you know. But... So there's this dismantling of the word of God. And, and then, you know, some tell us, you know, we have these different groups within Christianity that we should reject the teachings of Paul. Wow, that's a big chunk of our New Testament. That's 13 epistles. They say, yeah, don't listen to Paul, you know. Okay. And James, you know, Martin Luther who nailed the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door, he called the epistle of James an epistle of straw. Do we know that about, you know, we're thankful for the reformers and the things that they did, but we need to understand these were not perfect men. These were not perfect people. But it's just interesting to me that there's always this attack upon the word of God. This is, this is inspired, this is not inspired. And you have some teachers that they deem themselves the only ones to really tell you what's inspired and what's not inspired. I'll tell you, if any of those things were true, I would never read the Bible because it would be a dangerous book to read because I wouldn't know where to read. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is the revelation of God, of his character. We see in Genesis, you know, we see God creating we see God speaking things into existence. We, we, we see um, him taking Adam and, you know, placing him in the garden. We see him blessing. We see his, his caring, loving, you know, the, the heart of a father. Uh, we see the love of a father even in his discipline, you know, we have this twisted view about discipline. Even Christians have bought into the lie, you know, that if we somehow discipline our children, we don't love them. Do you know that the Bible says just the opposite? It's interesting. We listen to the voices of the world more than we listen to the word of God. And if we were just simply students of the word of God, we'd say, this is my God. This is who he is. This is his character. This is his nature. The person who's always finding fault with God 
is a person that needs to be born again. They need to be born of the Spirit because they're not seeing things as they truly are. So you must be born again. There's the physical birth, that which is born of flesh and is flesh. And there is the spiritual birth, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And then he goes on and he gives this illustration. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And of course, this was as clear as mud for Nicodemus. He said in verse 9, <laughs> how can these things be? I don't understand it. Jesus, many times, as he spoke, there would be a play on words. You know, we see this in uh, John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you, you know. We look at this as modern-day Christians, and we say, I, you know, he's making a mansion for me, and, you know, and all of this. And he, No, it's a dwelling. It's in my father's house. The fact, the, 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 the most important things that we should really key in on is that he's going, and if he goes, he's coming back. He's coming back so that he might receive us, so that we can be where he is. I mean, all of these things are extremely important. But for those who were hearing it, they would understand that he was using imagery, speech, that pertain to a marriage, to the, the bridegroom that would, you know, after becoming engaged to his bride, he would go to his father's house and he would prepare a place for her and for him so that they could go in, spend their seven-day honeymoon wedding, you know, consummate their, their union, their marriage. It's a beautiful picture. But Jesus, he speaks of, of wind. He speaks of the spirit. And, and, and if we're just reading the text, we would say, well, I, 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 well, I'm more confused than I was. Do you know that in the Greek, the Greek language, of course, we have the, the Greek for the New Testament. We have, we have Hebrew and Aramaic for a little bit of Aramaic for the uh, Old Testament. Um, that the word for spirit and for wind and for breath in the Greek is the word pneuma. Have you heard that before? Pneuma. Pneuma. You put your hand in front of your mouth and say, Panuma. There's breath. Panuma. The Hebrew word, the equivalent to that word, but it's used in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, is the word ruach. Same thing. Ruach. Panuma. Ruach. No one knows the origin or the destination of the wind. But everyone knows it's there. I was telling the first service that I love this portion of scripture because this was the first portion of scripture that I studied as a brand new babe in Christ. I just, you know, I knew that something supernatural had happened. Uh, I had heard people talk about being born again. I wanted to go to the source, so I went to the source. Again, this isn't some terminology that came from the Jesus movement, though it was used in the Jesus movement, but this is biblical. These are the words of Jesus. 
But I love it because it, it describes what happens to a person who's truly placed their faith in Christ. It's almost as if you're born again. I'm born again. I'm born spiritually. There was this insight. There's, there's this understanding that I did not have before placing my faith in Christ. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm never going to be the sight of heaven. But there are desires that I have that I never had before. For me, it was a desire to read the word of God. I never had a desire to read the word of God. I told you guys, uh, you know, in the early 70s, you know, in, in 1969, a horrific thing. You have the summer of love. So, you know, you have all the hippies and everything. Uh, and that's happening in, you know, California, other places. But, and then the same year, you have this horrific uh Murder, actually murders that took place, the Manson family murders, same year. It was horrifying. I was living in Los Angeles uh, at the time, and, and it was frightening. You just felt like these people were going to come in and, you know, it's just going to slaughter you or something. And um, you had this, I don't know where I was going with that. I totally lost that thought. Where was I going? The what? I don't remember. That's what, I'm getting old. One day I'm just going to go away and not come back. The wind, yes. I don't know where I was going with that. There was something that I was going to tie in with that. My illustrations have to be shorter since my memory is so short. Anyway, sure. The wind, the wind blows where it wishes. Can you see the wind? I can't see the wind. You can't see the wind. We can see the dust kicked up by the wind, but we can't see the wind. The Holy Spirit of God, I can't see him. You can't see him, but we can feel him. We can sense him moving in our life, upon our life, in our lives. Salvation, being born again, is when God infuses spiritual life into the believer. It is a supernatural thing. It's not something we could achieve on our own. It's not something that we could, you know, wish for. We, we could only receive it by placing our faith in Christ. It's so simple, and yet it's so profound. I wonder if Jesus was hoping as he was speaking about these things to Nicodemus, a teacher, a Pharisee. I wonder if he was hoping that Nicodemus would think of Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. We know that Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dead Bones, you guys know the text. Valley of Dead Bones, it speaks of Israel. You guys know that. And you have this almost Holocaust type of imagery as you're reading the text. And it's so horrific, you know. They're just bones. We know that the children of Israel, you know, they, they would go through a time, and we touched on it, I think, a, a week ago. Their temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. They would be dispersed, scattered throughout the entire world. They would stay dispersed for 1,900 years 
1900 years, they went to all parts of the earth. They're like a valley of dead bones. Prophesy to the bones, son of man. And the bones begin to come together and the sinew and the muscle and the skin and everything. And we look at that and we say, yeah, wow, that's amazing. Listen, that's not just amazing. That's Bible prophecy being fulfilled and we've watched it happen in our lifetime. And many of us aren't even paying attention to it. So we're not, you know, standing in front of our television set when we're watching these these commercial jets flying in from places like Africa or Russia or Peru or China or wherever, and Jews are getting off the plane into their homeland, a land that they had never been in before, but that is their land because they are Jews. That is the valley of dead bones, the skin coming together. But the prophecy is not fulfilled because the prophecy goes on to say Ezekiel 37 verse 5 surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live the word breath is ruach Ezekiel 37 verse 14 I will put my spirit in you and you shall live the word for spirit is ruach you see guys Language is important. This is why it's good to you know, go a little bit deeper than just simply reading, to study the scriptures. We see what's happening. In one hand, we could say we're watching. We've been watching. It's happening. It's happening present tense. It's happening today because anti-Semitism around the world is at an all-time height. And most of us aren't even aware of that. And Jews are being persecuted and many Jews are going to Israel. I say back to Israel, but many of the Jews that are going to Israel had never been to Israel. They're just moving there. This is home. These are our people. So prophecy fulfilled. No, prophecy not fulfilled. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. Paul wrote to the Romans and he talked about a time when Israel will place their faith in Messiah, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus. And they will come to faith in him. Right now, the Lord's focus is on the church. This is the church age. This is the age of the Gentiles. This is the age of grace. The church is going to be removed from the scene very soon. This is why you must be born again. And once the church is removed, God's attention will be fixed once again on Israel. The tribulation, what's it called? Well, it's called by many things, but one title that's pertinent to what I'm saying, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Israel. It's not the church's trouble. It's Jacob's trouble. And I'll tell you, if if we thought that the Holocaust was bad, what's coming is going to be absolutely horrific. And if the Lord did not protect, and if the Lord did not keep the children, they're going to flee. When they see the abomination that causes desolation, the Jewish people will look at the Antichrist, and they will be convinced that this is the Messiah until they see the abomination that causes desolation. Do you guys understand what that is? The abomination causes the image. 
Why, why would that cause them to wake up? I'm not going to tell you. Go back to the Old Testament. Because they would know there's no Messiah that would, that would cause us to worship an image. That doesn't happen in Judaism. That's what got us into trouble, they would say, <laughs> in Judaism. Because we're always worshiping things that were made by the hands of men. We must be born again. We must be born of the spirit, Penuma. Do you want to be born again? I'll tell you, guys. I pray for the people of this church. I pray for people that listen. You know, this is a small church. We have a small, you know, group of people that listen to our services during the week. And But I pray for the salvation of all of the folks that are listening in earshot. I don't want us ever to think that, you know, well, I'm good because, you know, my dad was a pastor. Ask my kids. Their dad being a pastor, did it give them an advantage? In one sense, it might have been a stumbling block for some of my kids that their dad was a pastor. Because the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter if your dad's a pastor, if, you, if, if your mother's the most godly woman, you must be born again. They must be born again. My kids needed to be born again. My grandchildren, I look at them, I just think, I'm so thankful for the environment that my grandchildren are growing up in. I was talking to Wilder Jack this morning. He was in my office, and, and he, I said, you know, buddy, I'm so blessed because I have all of you guys, all of my family. And he said, Papa, I'm blessed too. I was waiting for the compliment to come my way. It didn't. He said, uh, I'm blessed because I have all my cousins that I get to hang out with all the time. And I said, that's a blessing. But I'll tell you, my grandkids need to be born again. They need to come to faith in Christ. We need to take seriously the words of Jesus. It's not hard. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All who call upon his name shall be saved. It's so simplistic. I think that's what stumbles people. Because the pride of man wants to do something to somehow earn it, to achieve it in some way. And it's the pride of man that hates the fact that, that you could have a, a, a person that, that is, you know, a blasphemer. Living the most horrific, sinful life that could come to faith in Christ and are accepted as a full child of God. They're not a few rungs down because of the life they lived. They have become new creatures in Christ Jesus. I was thinking this morning on the way in, you guys could come on up, that when I became a Christian, Tracy and I 
were baptized in a lake. We were baptized in Lake of the Pines. And um, I remember going into the water and I said something that I don't remember ever hearing, but obviously I had heard it, you know. I quoted something. I had zero Bible knowledge. I mean, really, zero Bible knowledge. I surely wasn't exposed to, you know, a lot of Christians speaking into my life. I surely had people sharing the gospel with me, you know, as I would hitchhike and, or pick up hitchhikers. You're either picking a Jesus freak up or they were picking you up, you know. And, but that was always a short little time with each other. But I remember when I became a Christian and I went out into the water with Tracy to be baptized and our pastor said, is there anything you'd like to say, Danny? And I said, um, I don't know. All I could say is once I was blind, but now I see. I didn't know I was quoting, you know, a psalm and, or a hymn and, and uh, I didn't know that. And, and then Tracy said something so wonderful as well. And, but it's what described my experience. I was blind. I was truly spiritually blind. I was chasing after so many other things that could not satisfy. They would not satisfy. And it's sad to me that there are so many Christians, said Christians, that are embracing these things that I once chased after before coming to Christ, and yet they're chasing after these things now because they think that it's going to enhance their walk with Christ. And I don't understand it. It blows my mind. Everything we have need of is the word of God and the spirit of God living within us guiding us, empowering us. Don't be one of those folks that say, I believe in Jesus, but you really spend little to no time in his word. And don't be one of those folks that say, I believe in Jesus, but you're not dependent upon the spirit of God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just for Pentecostal Christians or charismatic Christians. The Spirit of God is not, you know, just so you could, you know, manifest the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is given as a comforter, as a helper to all believers. We need him. We need him. We cannot live the Christian life on our own. And I would hope that if you're a believer, that you would maybe get alone with the Lord and open his word and just say, Lord, is there more? I believe in you, but there's got to be more. I think any genuine Christian, you, you realize there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Just living kind of a humdrum life, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And I'll tell you, if you're sincere, the Lord will say, oh, there's so much more. 
Lord, would you baptize us with your Holy Spirit? Would you baptize those who have not been baptized by your Spirit, Lord? We pray, Father, that that upon experience would be true for everyone who's truly placed their faith in you. We pray, Father, that if we're reading the scriptures and we're just kind of saying, oh, I wish it was like that. I wish I could have been back there. They would realize that you have us here and you have a task for us here. And you've called us to be fishers of men here. And you've equipped us with your word here now and with your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, would you give us, Lord, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom? Would you give us, Lord, the gift of faith as we pray for one another? We ask, Father, for the gift of healing, gifts of healing. Each one is a gift. Pray for those who, Lord, they just, they've, maybe they've longed for the gift of tongues. They just want that gift. They want that intimacy with you. Not that they're going to necessarily do it in front of anyone else. They just want that gift because they want to they use that gift as they're worshiping you, as they're praising you. Lord, would you do that, please? Lord, we know that you haven't stopped your work, you know, but we've stopped it, and we don't want to stand in the way. We want to be open to all you have for us. Use us, Lord, please. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand. How could we 